Hi, I am Nicole J. Georges. I am a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist living in Portland, Oregon with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <coughs> Welcome to our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Today on Sagittarian Matters, we talk butch pregnancy, ugliness, and advice with A.K. Summers and Esther Godoy. But first, a review with my food-tasting pal, Morgan Grenstein-Helvey. Stay tuned. Chocolate love tonic. Mm -hmm. Four plate a model for who? It's for men and women. What about... What the hell? What, what about the hell? A, what about gender queer intersex? I'm apparently talking non-binary. Not specifically designed for them. <laughs> punk ethic DIY reclaim. You can reclaim this. Mm-hmm. It's a handcrafted aphrodisiac. Mm. We already did one shot. You want to do another? No. Let's do this. The herbs in our chocolate love tonic are traditionally used to kindle the flames of passion by supporting circulation. <laughs> Ow. And building sexual health and vitality. Healthy. Open your heart. Asterisk. None of these statements have been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. <laughs> we just tried it. It tasted like doing a sex t- shot of any tincture you've ever had. Yes. But I let it hit my tongue because it said the word chocolate. Because it said foreplay. <laughs> and it said foreplay. But actually, I shouldn't have because the taste is so bad that my face immediately inverted. Like Kermit, your favorite. Upset Kermit. Face move. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I felt like it wasn't the worst. It does taste like going to the doctor. But, you know, sometimes you just got to do that. It did make my throat hot. I'd have like, sex with you right now. Warm. <laughs> <laughs> That's just because. We've had, we've been friends for uh, upwards of 10 years. And you know what? Taking this tonic, it's just, I feel like the time has come. Let's just uh, revamp this. It is from Vermont, a really earthy location. I, to be honest, I tried this. I felt like it tasted disgusting, and I immediately grabbed this box, (laughs) this weird box of cereal you brought, which is cornflakes made out of beans, and I immediately started shoving them in my mouth to get the taste of the chocolate love tonic out of my mouth. I cannot believe this, but they've published the phone number on the bottle. They want us to call them. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> this tonic is so good. It's Morgan and Nicole. Oh, I'm coming. Um, so <laughs> they wanted us to say. Um, love tonic. I would not pay money for this. I don't think I would either. But I would sure chug the whole thing for free and just see what happened. What would happen? What if you OD'd on that? I would be so sad for you. How can you OD on chocolate love tonic? Maybe whatever the base is of the foreplay in the bottle. You don't. Ew, I don't want to know. Maybe you don't want to have... I don't know. Good call. Okay, so uh, chocolate foreplay in a bottle, Love Tonic by Urban Moonshine Apothecary. I'm going to give it a weird thumb. If we end up, thumb up making love to each other <laughs> or I go on Craigslist or something, I will make a follow-up on to Craigslist. this. Craigslist, you'll credit them? Yeah. You'll call them on their phone number. Well, I will, I'll make a follow-up oh, recording. Cool. Being like, oh my God. Right now. I'm that was incredible. my life. Esther Godoy is the creator of Butch is Not a Dirty Word magazine, a publication out of Australia for butches and the people who love them. You can find a PDF at butchesnotadirtyword.com.
Esther, I identify you as Butch. Uh-huh. Because you identify yourself as Butch. I would never I would never sling around an identity that was not your own. Uh, will you tell me, from your understanding, you don't have to speak for all Butches, but you can, because they're not all here. Uh, what is what is it? What is a Butch? Okay. Shorthand. What is a Butch shorthand? Um, what, what the word Butch means is different to every single Butch. So... My identity with the word butch or the identity butch is going to be very different to somebody else's. Uh, the best I can do is just speak for myself here. Okay. Um, the way I came to identify as butch was uh, feeling that I didn't understand where I fit identifying as female but presenting as very masculine. Um, I felt like... Yeah, in, in my in my generation and in my time, there's um, there's been quite a bit of visibility and information about being trans or being genderqueer. Um, I myself identify as female pretty strongly still. I look very masculine. Um, for me, the closest thing I could find was butch. So you've you've always been a masculine sort of person. I have since I was a kid. I mean. I've, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard one though, because for me, like sometimes I joke that the, the butchest thing about me really is just my haircut, you know, um, I have short hair, so I guess that makes me butch. Apart from that, like, uh, emotionally, mentally, I identify very much with feminine elements of female traits or I don't know, whatever you want to call those. Um, so yeah, for me, for me, it's uh, it's a lot, it's got a lot to do with my physical presentation, and I know that that's not the same for everyone. A lot of people, when they think butch, they think, um, you know, they think of adjectives such as like dominant, let's say, or rough, or strong, or strength, or I don't know, like the cliche ideals of what it is to be butch. Um, for 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 me, it very much just is about my presentation, my physical presentation. And you. I know that listeners can't tell, but you come from Australia <laughs> and you created a project there called Butch is Not a Dirty Word. Yes. Why did you have to say that? <laughs> Why did you have to make that project? Why did you uh, feel compelled to make that project? Look, I think that the the queer climate of the States and the queer climate of Australia are very, very different things. And um, before I had come to the States, there's no way in hell that I would have called myself a butch. I wanted to even identify with anything in that scope. To be a butch in Australia is, um, masculinity in females or masculinity in people assigned female at birth is not a fantastic thing in the queer community in Australia. It's, it's very much looked down upon, I think. What do they, what do they want you to do instead? Like... What are you supposed to do? <laughs> I don't know. Like, um, I don't know. Grow my hair long and wear a flat cap or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, you know, in Australia, it's uh, the climate there is to not be too feminine and not be too masculine. You really, you know, to be to hold any kind of social currency, you have to sit in the middle and you have to be um, androgynous. So, growing up in Australia and having my younger queer years in Australia was pretty brutal for me. I think and. Uh, like I traveled a lot to the States for that reason because I was able to find more community and more understanding and, you know, able to develop more self-love, being in a space where it wasn't such a negative thing to look this way um, because I was pretty much stuck in Australia 
for such a long time. Um, you know, it was really, the whole project was a way for me to express all that sort of anger I had about it and all that oppression I felt and just try and do something good with that and try and do something helpful for other people with that and just trying to open up the discussion and to sort of create the community space and push it to be a little more inclusive and allowing. So you made this zine that is a full color, basically mm-hmm. a magazine. Yes. There are portraits of butch women. That's true. And then there's writing by people who love butch women. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> How did it go when you, so you, so you grew up in this climate where people were like, hey, butch. You're gross. Uh-huh. And then you made this and you put it out and then what happened? Um, look, the, the response to it, I was really, I was quite scared putting it out because I think it's very difficult to do public projects within a queer space. It's very difficult because, um, yeah, there's just so much to think about and there's so much to consider. And I think it's a learning process. Every time you do something, there's something else that you learn and something else that you haven't considered before. So because I was sort of going out on a whim and that I had I had met very few like-minded people that understood what a butch was and... Oh, don't do that. Huh? That thing you just did made a very bad noise. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I had, met, I had met very few people in that scope, so I was very nervous about putting that project out into a community, which I felt was probably just going to shit all over it. Um, I was pleasantly surprised in that it received, honestly, received no negative feedback whatsoever, I think... I I was expecting that maybe we'd be able to fill a room for the launch just with the people in the magazine and their friends, um, and it ended up blowing so far out of proportion that we had to add an extra show and we had to add an after party and people were just banging down the doors trying to get in and they couldn't get in and people were mad about it. Um, but, yeah, it just had such an awesome response and I think it really shows that there were all these people in that community that had felt, I think, silenced or oppressed for so long. And um, it's funny because a lot of the crowd was sort of um, quite a bit older, so a couple of generations above me and then very, very young. But in this middle zone, my generation, there was, there was people missing from there. So it was interesting the kinds of people that came out and the generations, the different generations of people that came out. Um, to me, it really reflected that, there was such a need for um, a community event like this. And I think that two things, like first of all, because it was butch-focused and all these people, like I said, that had felt silenced for so long felt represented. And secondly, because it was um, a community event that didn't necessarily involve having to go and party or having to be in a climate where you're sort of like... um, you know, it wasn't a social hierarchy space. It was really just about getting people together and um, enjoying enjoying the pleasantries of community. <laughs> I love that you made an intergenerational space. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. learning I from so. our queer elders is such a value. And I yeah, yeah, really so regret that there's no place I can think of where I can go chill with lesbian crones. Totally. I love lesbian crones. And... You know, it's so important. Like, as a young person who had literally nobody to look up to or to look out for me, I understood how important that was once I finally found that. Um, so, yeah, to be able to create that for other people, I think, was, like, very important to me. And it's it's a bummer because, you know, I left as soon as, like, two months after that event and um, it shifted so much in that community and, and it had such a huge impact and change that, 
it, it feels like I should have still been there. Like, um, so you could, you could walk down the street, people could be like, Hey, butch, super <laughs> cool that you're butch. <laughs> Can you get your hair any shorter, please? Um, what do you, what is your advice for young butch people or young people who feel like tomboys uh-huh. or who are masculine women mm-hmm. who feel whatever? Um, like if you had to go talk to like a tween uh, Esther, uh-huh. what would you say? Uh, the most important thing, honestly, is to find somebody that can guide you, reach out to somebody, um, try and find your people, even if they're older than you, um, they don't necessarily have to be in the same space. You're probably not going to find them in the same space. I don't know what it is like for young people now, but, um, do your best to find someone that looks like you and then go and hassle them until they help you. <laughs> I love that. I, I growing up in a small town, I didn't have any gay role models really mm-hmm. in my space that were women, and like I didn't really get that butch people existed. Yeah, <laughs> but like the first time I saw one, I was like, huh. Like I just didn't understand what I was feeling. <laughs> you and a lot of other people, my friend. <laughs> but I was like, I feel by curious, but I don't want to brush another girl's long hair. <laughs> like, what I, like what? What is there for me? I don't understand. <laughs> And then I moved to Portland where there were more actual gay people and I got to be like, oh, the people I like generally have the exact same gender expression across the board, no matter what their Mm -hmm. sex part or whatever is. Uh But then, so I can, I'm not actually having to make that big of a leap. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, um, I think that. I'm outing myself as someone that likes butch people, I guess, is what's happening right now. <laughs> and you'd be surprised at how many people are ashamed of that. I think when you come from a, sp- a space where to be butch is so stigmatized, not only do people that present as butch become oppressed, but people who find them attractive also become oppressed, and they're sort of having to oppress themselves as well. And I've, I've definitely visually and emotionally experienced that with other people. It's so weird, mm-hmm. the difference between Portland in Melbourne. I know. Because it's so weird because, like, me, everything else about these spaces are the same. It's just the queer spaces that are sort of... Like, me coming up, it was, like, assumed that there was this gender binary that since I had long hair, I was femme. Yeah. And then I identified as femme. And uh-huh. then that I would, like, butch people. Uh-huh. So, like, I have long hair, so I'm like, will you please, you know, throw your jacket across that mud puddle for me because I'm a dainty <laughs> lady? Uh-huh. Um, and I resented it. I was like, don't call me femme. I was like, what? Because I just, I don't know. Uh-huh. I had to come around to liking that, but it was always assumed that I would like butch people. Yeah, and I think that, I think that assuming that is just as, um, it's just as problematic as not, it's, I, I, I find that here, I mean, here works better for me, but I find that there are issues with this community space as well, where it's like, you very rarely see two feminine people or two butch people dating or hooking up or whatever. And oh, fem- in fem- Australia, is a big thing. you know? Oh, yeah. So, and to be butch and femme dating in Australia is a big no-no. Like, nobody wants that. It's sort of like this, you're just perpetuating gender, heteronormative, whatever, bullshit. That sounds so, exciting to me. I'm yeah. Scandalizing it's literally most, any community sounds exciting. And I know there's a lot of people here that feel that way as well. And it's it's sort of like... 
it's it's a difficult space to exist in the middle of because I feel like if I'm here, people are mad at me because I'm butch, and if I'm at home, people think I'm gross because I'm butch. It's like, fuck, where am I supposed to be? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, so the thing you're referencing is that here, and we don't have to get into it, but here there's almost a butch backlash. Where, there is, where I, there's, yeah, I think that, yeah, there's, yeah, absolutely. I there's think some, okay. yeah. there's some people that are equating butchness with people who are um, perpetuating like a patriarchal kind of like sexism. Absolutely. But that is not necessarily the case. Yeah, and I think and it, it, it can be the case. And I think that it's it's so different because it's completely different. Um, it's completely different cl- uh, climate. So I can understand how masculinity having having in women having been celebrated here for so long could potentially have created a space where um, where there was a certain amount of privilege that came with being masculine. You know masculine presenting um but that is such a very small i you know maybe in like the small portland bubble sure thing but like everywhere else in the world it's absolutely not a thing these are women who are oppressed as women and then don't even get to get the (laughs) the boon of gender conforming women so it's like people want to beat you up or kill you because they don't get why you're trying to use that bathroom and then queer people are like well, you know what, but fuck you because you get to have bro talk yeah, with other bros. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. It's a very, it's a very uh, difficult, it's a very difficult space to understand how to navigate for somebody that hasn't had the experience of ever really being privileged because of my short haircut. No, that's absurd. Well, that's <laughs> like I was talking. I mean, we were, I was talking to STS. We did an episode about the Butch Buyers Market. At a certain point, and she was like, butch women are just women. We're not like these scary bros. We're not lecherous. We're not no. like, like trolling around. Like we're just also women who it seems like we might have it pretty good because we like are masculine presenting women living in an American culture, but that's actually not the case. Yeah. It's actually Correct. hard for all of us, and we are your sisters. Correct. Um, and I think that um you know, when I was doing this project in Australia, a lot of people were sort of like, oh, butch invisibility. It's sort of like you always hear that from the fans that they feel invisible, this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I think that it's like this competitive, this weird competitive s- situation where people are trying to like compete for who is more oppressed and in what way, and in what way is like, it seems so ridiculous to me. I think that the oppression Olympics, I think everybody's oppressed and they're two very different kinds of oppression. And I think that either sides of the coin are valid. And, um, it's not an argument. It's, it's not an argument to sit there and go, well, I'm more oppressed as a butch because of this, or well, I'm more oppressed as a femme because of this. It's like, you guys, we're all just oppressed in different ways. And it would be nice if we just didn't oppress each other as well. Yeah. I, <laughs> I feel like part of, part of that is recognizing where you are privileged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So like, so like maybe like we go to the mechanic and the mechanic talks to you and ignores me. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's a privilege that you have. Mm-hmm. But maybe like a lot of places, like a dude will hold the door for me or, or give me my order. Like, yeah. I or, did... like won't look at you in the street like you're a piece of shit because you're a filthy faggot. Yeah. I mean, they <laughs> might look at me like a piece, like a cum dumpster yeah. that they want to have sex with and throw in a garbage can yeah. because I am feminine presenting, but yeah. I don't know, like, like I uh, dated somebody who was butch and we had this system where we went to restaurants. Mm-hmm. If there was a feminine waitress, she would order. Okay. And if there was a dude, 
I would order because when I ordered from like straight ladies, uh-huh. straight feminine ladies, they, whatever, if they had any kind of bitchiness in them, mm-hmm. they would interpret a tone from me yeah. and then not give me the thing I wanted. Like I would yeah. be like, Hey, can I have um real example of many? Oh, can I add tofu to that? Um, to that eggplant dish? And they're like, no, that's two separate dishes. Do you want two different dishes? And I was like, no. Then my girlfriend next, Uh like two days later orders the same thing. They're like, oh sure, honey, no problem at all. Because she looked like a, like a nice boy. She looked like a nice boy. Same thing. We would go to like the hipster French fry cart. And if my girlfriend Mm -hmm. ordered from Mm -hmm. like the indie dude that was working there, they literally would lose her order or just be like, whatever. Cause she had no currency to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing. It's like, you're not a dude, so I don't feel bro kinship with you. You're not yeah. someone I can fuck. So you're yeah. somewhere in between. Yeah. So you're yeah. nothing to me. Yeah. So they would lose her order. But if I went up and ordered and was like, oh, hey, can I have some French fries? They'd be like, oh, right away, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, so we had this like system to try and game the system so we could actually get our fucking food. I think that, I mean, yeah, I understand all of that. I think that. It's, I can, I don't know. I think that for me, like for me and for, I have another very close friend who essentially physically looks exactly the same as me, same height, same stature, um, same body type, all those things. And we both are like, we are both post satin return, but effectively look like 12 year old boys. So any currency that I should experience as being masculine presenting, I don't because any man out there who looks at me does not feel like he can grow with me because I look like a fucking child. You know, to give you some when I go into a bank or when I go into a professional setting, when I go to work, when I work in a corporate setting, people aren't looking at me going, yeah, you know what you're talking about. You look like a dude. They're looking at me going, what the fuck is this child doing in here? (laughs) The booster seat does not help. Exactly. So I just like, I just think it's very damaging to, it's so damaging to um, assume experience and to assume privilege or roles across like an entire group of people because it's not, the, it's just not the case for everyone, you know. Um, and, it, you know, it would be the same as me going, well, all femmes have this privilege because of this and this and this, discounting every other like difference and every other, you know, individual thing about them that may have led them to having a completely different life experience. So I don't know, just like be less of a dick to everyone. That's your message. Be less of a dick to everyone. I do want to tell you, I have a butch friend in Washington, DC who works near the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And one day she was like walking from work and she basically a teacher tried to herd her onto a school bus with these other Boy Scouts that had been visiting the White House. Well, you know, I used to be, when I was for a small brief moment in time, a high school teacher, I left my round of teaching to go home one day and I had like a year eight boy bully me because of my hat thinking I was another kid. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, what the fuck? I just got bullied. Like, what did he say? He really got bullied. He was like, oh, fucking nice hat. It's like a head cunt. What's that? <laughs> it was like, oh, like, man, like I don't belong here. This I don't I don't know where I exist in that moment. Was it Jonah from Summer Heights High? He was like the kid that Jonah bullies was bullying. He was like, hey, book you, book you, miss. Well, he wasn't even a Jonah. He was like, he was like, he was like Sebastian. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Sebastian was bullying me basically. 
<laughs> Sebastian, that's that hat is so random. <laughs> All right, Esther, how can people find your projects? Um, what do you want them to find? www.butchisnotadirtyword.com or just look it up on Facebook because that's where all of the things happen anyway. Cool. Um, and so people can order it. They can join an online community. Oh, look, issue one was like entirely sold out. But issue two we're working on right now is due out at the end of the year. So keep an eye on, yeah, those places. I think you can download actually issue one for free off the website, the PDF. Um, and yeah, keep an eye out for issue two, which is actually going to be about butchers and their families, whatever family means to them. So I love that. I know. We're trying to make it like less about, um, less about like. Sexuality? Yeah, less about being like, oh, look, this is a masculine woman person that can be hot as well. It's like, I don't want to, like, fucking just perpetuate all the other kinds of media that are out there right now. We're really trying to, like, show many different sides of the coin and reel in, like, all different kinds of butchers. So just trying to round it out a bit and try and make it speak to people that aren't necessarily between 19 and 28, you know. Ponyo is four and a half. She identifies as genderqueer, though I just sheed her. Can she be in the magazine? Uh, if she wishes. I don't actually know if she identifies as butch. She's a little bit more androgynous, so yeah, we're going to have to talk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry she tried to take up your space. Say. It's for her to say. It's not for us to say. It's not for I'll, I'll, I'll look at her and ask see it. what she tells me. Well, ask them. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. A.K. Summers is the author of the graphic novel Pregnant Butch, Nine Long Months Spent in Drag. You can find her and her comics at aksummers.com. I'm here with A.K. Summers. Welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you. What is your sign? Leo. Oh, interesting. But I'm on the cusp with Virgo. Oh, I can see that too. Um, Sagittarians and Leos get along, I think, because um, Sagittarius doesn't mind giving compliments. It doesn't deplete us, doesn't diminish us <laughs> to boost the Leos in our presence. We're fine with that. All right. So, A.K. Summers, you're a cartoonist. So they say. That's how I know you. Mm-hmm. That's true. Because you did a book called Pregnant Butch. Yes. Are you still pregnant? <laughs> it's done, and I'm now approaching menopause. Do you want to try to get pregnant one last time before you hit <laughs> menopause? I really don't. Uh, I couldn't take being pregnant and having these hot flashes. That sounds like you would be murderous. Yeah. Um, I'd be shirtless on the porch. Just angry fanning yourself? Yeah. Shooting fetuses out. Oh, God. Along the beads of sweat. So we did some events together when Pregnant Butch came out. Indeed we did. And people people did ask you from time to time. People were surprised that you were not pregnant. People like had an idea for a minute that you would actively be pregnant, didn't they? A lot of people thought it was a lot more recent of an event than it was. I think the notion that you just write and draw memoirs as they happen or very soon afterwards is a widely held belief in the reading public. Because your the, child was a tween. My child was 
ten, I think, when the book came out, and he now just has turned thirteen. That's that's a, that's yeah. a tough road to hoe. It is. Were you keeping a journal? Well, so the book is about you becoming with child. That's right. Living in New York City mm-hmm. with your partner and your experience of that with the fact that you're a butch person. Indeed. Which is not a narrative that we see everywhere. Yeah, it was um it was born of telling a lot of stories in playgrounds to people who had also been pregnant but pregnant in a more conventional or um, ordinary sort of feminine experiential way. Yeah. And, um, and my stories just sounded different. And um, I got the idea that it, it really needed to be a comic and that it really needed to be embodied by the figure of a pregnant Tintin. Oh, yeah. So you drew yourself kind of like Tintin. Yeah. Which I thought worked great. Oh, I saw myself. That's probably how you looked. Yeah. Well, it was aspirational. What kind of stories would they tell that you were just like, oh, no. My husband, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the experience of having that binary you know, gender relationship going on in most people's pregnancy experience. Number one, a lot of people were coupled, which is for people that go through single pregnancy, there's um, there's kind of an alienating conventionality there. I was coupled, but my um, partner was a femme. And so playing off the old man-woman um, you know, stock in trade tales of pregnancy. And she was so crazy. I had to get her the pickles and shove them up there. Um, uh, we didn't have that. How did you guys, people probably, as people assumed that your partner would be the one carrying your child. Yeah. People did express surprise that I ended up being the one. And, and wanted to know about how that came about and why. And um, it was really an age thing and, a, and an adoption thing. What do you mean? I mean that I was four years older. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was and still am an adopted person. And I super, super, super wanted to experience what a biological relationship with somebody felt like. So I was very motivated, even though it was not the pregnancy part of itself was not interesting or tempting to me. Really? Really? Sometimes when I thought I thought about like, wow, that's like a human experience that I could have. Like, it just seems like, like a weird thing that my body knows how to do out of my control. But are you quite certain your body knows how to do it? I assume my that body knows how to do it. Because lots of people, lots of people find that they get into the situation of being pregnant and definitely around giving birth, and they really come to doubt whether their body knows what to do. Well, your body's doing crazy things like growing teeth, like yeah. growing, growing toenails, or like your organs are like moving, and you're growing new organs. 
Like that kind of stuff. I'm like, I didn't know you could do that. Body. You did. We've just been, we've just been doing this normal thing, kind of getting a grasp on that, you know, trying not to get. Because you skipped health class. Well, so far my experience in my body is not that it spontaneously like spreads my rib cage to accommodate my organs. All right. Well, thank God it's not spontaneous. (laughs) (laughs) So you were like, it's me. I want to get knocked up. Yeah. You were like, I want to feel how this feels. And now you have a 13 year old. Is the biology overriding his, is he being a sassy teenager? Oh my God. He's really, well, I shouldn't say this. This is for a podcast. He's lovely. He's lovely. (laughs) I know, I know that, I know I've heard that having a 13 year old is generally lovely. (laughs) That is, is he, he is a very lively, lively and interesting person. Mm -hmm. And I very much enjoy having him in my life, but he is spending a lot of time in the bathroom more than his share and we only have one. Oh, so you're like come on this does it you think this tint in hair is gonna happen on its own let me in there yeah that's yeah. right yeah can we so if, let's say for my secular listeners how would you Our, define what a butch person is um just a masculine all right. gendered person okay there are two there are two definitions okay in my book And one is the historical one that has to do with um, a lot of people in the, in the, um, in the forties and fifties developing a bar culture of butch femme Mm -hmm. where there were masculine presenting women and feminine presenting people. And they got together often. Um, and that historical term, usually you didn't, you, you always talked about butch femme and, um, as, as a piece of some binary wisdom that you'd picked up somewhere. And then butch femme really had um, a resurgence in the late 80s, early 90s, um, because there was a lot of kind of same gender, just like lesbian, like yeah, know, and so swapping fleas came back to disrupt the lesbian feminism, mm-hmm. and that's where I picked it up was by being somebody in that generation, and I think now it it's still in use. I think it's had a little bit of another resurgence. Um, it seemed to threaten to go away for a while um, when so many people were identifying um, with trans or or gender free or gender alt type of um, self identifications or simply saying a masculine person or masculine of center or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's that it's, um, it's, it's getting, uh, back in the mix. And I think now it's, it simply means I'm not willing to, um, undergo too much 
physical alteration in order to maintain my masculine identity. Mm-hmm. And, and I will still agree to be called a woman. Or maybe not, or maybe I'm going to ask for like a, a third gender classification that is butch. Yeah. Well, so in your book, you have a, you have a page about the butch going the way of the dinosaur. Indeed. And then we went to a college where students were like, wait, does that mean that you hate trans people? And you were like, <laughs> no, that is not what I mean. Yeah, there were like two or three years in there where... Um, where trans liberation and um, exploration it took a very um, aggressive or threatened sort of posture in relation to statements about Butch. Mm-hmm. That I see receding now. Hmm. I don't know. It seems like a little bit more of a peaceful time with um, more options opening up and more people describing themselves in increasingly varied ways. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just not talking to enough college audiences right this second. I don't. I can't tell. I can't tell. I mean, I don't know. I I guess, you know, and I'm speaking just from people I know, but people I know who are butch and of a certain age, if it had been more available to them, like the language and the access to transitioning when they were young, they may have done it. Yeah. But then that wasn't accessible when they were that age and felt like a guy or what they understood to be a guy because they were felt masculine. Yeah. So then... There's like a weird, there's a weird generation thing almost. Well, it's historical. I mean, it is a historical, not only did things happen that way for reasons of historical context, um, but it's, but it affected certain generations differently than others. And so you're not going to be the same kind of butch, I don't think, if, you, if you're 31, mm-hmm. that you are if you're 49. Yeah. Um, another thing that you talked about in your book, which I thought was really valuable, which I haven't seen, I don't see talked about a lot, is like ugliness. Like the idea that like, like to people that don't understand what butch is, they're just like, that woman is not hitting the mark. Yeah. That woman is is really... He is but ugly. (laughs) But actually, if you understand what you're seeing, what you're seeing, if you understand who you're seeing, you're like, no, that person is like hitting the mark and exceeding the mark. That is a handsome person. Like that's what's happening. It's not like you're trying to be feminine. You just don't get it. Yeah. (laughs) It's that you're a different species of person that has a different standard of looks. Yeah, um, and, and it's a, such a touchy subject, ugliness. Um, <laughs> ugliness. <laughs> well, it's something that much people I know that read your book had never seen that reflected back to them before. 
And like that kind of feeling is something that they've had to combat, you know, in their formative queer years. Yeah. It's like eighth grade just goes on forever and ever, I think, when you're a butch. Well, hopefully at a certain point you get comfortable and you find that there are people that appreciate you, what you have to offer. Yeah. Um, my friend from Australia put out this zine called Butch is Not a Dirty Word because in Australia, I think that butches went out of out of style for a yeah. minute. People just didn't get it for a minute. Yeah. It was the same as calling somebody a troll or ugly or something. They were like, why? What? If you like butch people, why don't you just date a man? Or, you know, like that kind of old song and dance. But so then they had this, they had this thing that was all these portraits of butch women and then writings about people that were into butch women. Anyway. Um, God bless them, everyone. Bless them, everyone. But why did you, why did you include that in your book? Um, it was an important it was an important point that had to do with um, the ugliness of pregnancy and like the just being in such an uncomfortable state that's both internally uncomfortable and also uncomfortable in how you're presenting to the world. So um, explaining that butches already have had a very challenging experience generally with, um, you know, fighting for the right to appear in this, in this masculine way, and then also getting a lot of negative feedback for it, um, and internalizing that, it comes into play if you add some extra layers of baby carryingness. I should say, and I think I've expressed this to you before, but I just need to say it because we're on the topic, you know that I have the million-dollar idea to have Nicole's Butch Baby Ranch. We're butch people of all of all sexes or genders or whatever can come to my baby ranch in Nevada or wherever it is. What about the farm set you're on right now? I could, at Carson Ellis's house, <laughs> while she's away for two weeks, I just have a bunch of, like, very uncomfortable masculine-presenting people waddling around <laughs> wearing, yep. like, Carhartts <laughs> and no shirts. Um, so, uh, at Nicole's Butch Baby Ranch, you're a masculine person, whatever your deal is, you want to yeah. get knocked up, you come to my ranch because your body might start morphing in very feminine ways that you're not. Yeah, you don't want it seen. You're not really that into. You have a safe like, space. Like the teenage girls that get sent away. Yeah. And it's for like. Their, for their confinement. You come out here, you know, you get to do whatever you want to do, be free, you don't have to wear a shirt, whatever your deal is. Mm -hmm. You have the baby. You, do some handy work. You do whatever you want to do to get back to however you want to look. So then you could just show up again with the baby and just be like, hey, what's up? I just built this or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I love it. Great, great. Okay, but you didn't have the luxury of Nicole's Baby Ranch. Nicole's Book no. Baby Ranch at the time. <laughs> no, I had the fourth floor walk up in Brooklyn. And you didn't get read as a pregnant woman in need of like seats or door holding. Or Well, that was mostly an early experience of mm -hmm. pregnancy. I mean, by the time I was in the third trimester, it was clear what I was. 
what you were. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but before that, you kind but of... But before that, I w- what could be easily mistaken for a fat guy. So then you're like, oh, my feet, or whatever. Yeah. People are like, hey, you're like, sorry, fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> but then they're like, no, that's a pregnant guy. Yeah, <laughs> so, if only. That's not a fat well, guy, that's a pregnant come guy. Come on, this was back in 2002, 2003, so. You that, are... it was It was a little more unusual than the idea of the pregnant guy now. You were really taking it for the team. Yes, I like to think I was. Um, so you were, how did you deal with your body kind of, I mean, because it seems like, you know, a bunch of people are kind of like not, not wearing push-up bras necessarily, not emphasizing Everything. their curves uh, <laughs> for the by and large. And so then when you're pregnant, you're nothing but curves. You just are a curve. You're also sweat and tears and mucus. So did you just walk around crying and feeling vulnerable all the time? I did do that a lot. You can't help it. You're just a sack of hormones and and tears come all the time. Um, and discomfort and waves of other uncomfortable feelings. So you're you're wet and round. <laughs> you're just like this glistening ball. Yes, you're a glistening ball in a in a pair of Carhartts. In a pair of Carhartts, and no one's or getting up for you. Or boxer shorts at a certain point in the summer. Oh my God. Um, yeah. What made you decide to make this in particular into a book, or into a comic? Because you were serializing it before you made it into a book. Um, I always wanted it to be a book. Mm-hmm. In my mind, it was always a book. The serial, the serializing was just because I couldn't find a publisher my first go-round of looking for one. Mm-hmm. And so um, a friend of mine uh, pitched the idea of serializing it on a comics website. Cool. And it actually was a really good experience um, after, I mean, past the disappointment of not selling the book at the first go, but serializing it meant that people actually wrote to me and I got to see that people were reading it. And, um, and that was really helpful because as you know, drawing comics is, can be incredibly isolating and hand deforming. Yes, and having and having people there in your corner who are actually interested and invested in what you're doing is just makes a tremendous difference. I know I wrote to you. I saw it. I was like, this is great. Who's this mysterious AK? Oh, that's right. You hooked me up with your editor. I did. I was so excited about your project. I was like, who could I send this to? I can't believe this is just on a website. This has this I hope that this person makes a book. Um, so you, but you were already naturally a cartoonist or you were, I know that you already did your own zines before you were already in the world of self-publishing. Yeah. And I used to do, um, animations. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had been doing this kind of comic zine and then, um, I was getting my MFA and 
in printmaking. And I just went off on a wild hair my last year there and decided to turn one of my characters from the zine into an animated character. And then I did a whole 12 minute short and that was my final project for that year for, I mean, for my thesis. Yeah. And, um, and then that sent me down the road of making animations for, for like 10 years. Holy cow. Talk about hand deforming. They took, but they took so long to make that the one that I was working on while I was pregnant, I never finished. And, and now I've tried to go back and find all the pieces of it and with the idea that um, I could just edit together the stuff that I had and at least have a finished thing from it. And I seem to have, between the two computers that I've had then, it's, it, it seems to be somewhat lost or in, lost or in a lot of pieces. So there was a sad third lost animation. Oh, God. And two finished ones. Hmm. But coming but out of the world of animation was a comic, like, no big deal. I hoped that it was going to be no big deal, but, you know, it's not like that. It's I. It really is almost as much work. Really? Well, it depends on how long you're trying to make something. How many pages is your book? One ten. How long did it take you? All told, um, it took two and a half years. That's not Maybe. bad. When that was on top of having a full-time job and raising a child. Oh, my God. The year, actually, the year of first draft and the year of serializing, I did not have a full-time job. Mm. I was sitting at home doing it from the benefit of being partnered Mm. and having savings. And um, so I burned through some money, and my but my insurance was taken care of, mm-hmm. and that's how I did it on spec. Wow! Yeah, that's huge. What are your what? All right, I want to know what advice do you have for masculine people who want to or are considering having a baby. Do you have any advice? I do. I I really think they should do it if they want to. Mm -hmm. And I just want to emphasize that this is so temporary. It really is so, so temporary, the pregnancy. It doesn't feel that way. And it seems like it's maybe going to be an irreversible blight on your masculinity but actually um it's not and um and i went on after being pregnant to continue to feminize myself in by nursing my child for i won't even say how long till this and year 
<laughs> for, let's put it this way, more than two years. And, um, and it just complicated my sense of self in a wonderful way. Like, I think that I really became just a lot more loose and free about, and, you know, more self-confident about being masculine and not giving, you know, a hoot what people thought or their judgments and standards. Mm -hmm. And then as an artist who's also raising a child, what are your personal, like, how do you get all your work done? How do you make time to do it? Well, I don't get all the work done that I did prior to having a child. That's just the truth. Mm -hmm. Did you uh, have aspirations that you were like, I'm going to do it like this and this and this. And then those didn't meet up with reality. I, I think I was really <laughs> desperate and depressed for a while. I mean, when you have a little kid, unless you've really got somebody on board with you that wants to take on, that just so wants to do the primary caretaking, that they're elbowing you out of the way. I mean, it's just going to be a huge hit on your ability to get your own work done. Until about what age? Um, until they you Until they go to nursery school and, and then until they go to elementary school and then you know, incrementally it changes. And then it, it's been a huge revelation for me for my son to, to get up into the tweens and to be able to leave him alone sometimes. Like for years, you know, you, you can't leave these little people in the house or the apartment and go out and do whatever of your own or send them out, you, you're really on call uh, nearly constantly. And it's um, unless you have really achieved in, in terms of maybe starting your commune and having very effective modes of childcare sharing or, or you're tremendously wealthy and you can just pay out the wazoo for quality childcare. Mm -hmm. But um, it's just taking care of people that age just takes a lot. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it contributes to the richness of life. That is for sure. And I get up a lot earlier now than I used to in my pre-child days. And that's that's the best advice that I can give is that you're either gonna like really just have to burn the candle late at night or super early in the morning. But when kids are really little, they get up really early. Um, what do you think is, what are the deciding factors? If people are on the fence about having kids, if people are like, I could or I couldn't. Are there such people? Yeah. I guess there are. Are there? Do yeah. you know them? Yeah. I think that there's a time where your hormones take over and your body's like, impregnate me. Time's running out. And then you get to a point where you're like, hmm. Yeah. But, I could take it or leave it. Yeah. 
Did you always have a voracious drive? No. To have this biological I connection? I never had a voracious drive. Um, and, and I've never suffered from baby lust. Um, but like I've seen totally rational seeming people that they fall into this sickness and it does take over, but it didn't happen to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was more that I just wanted to have a family. I wanted to have people of different generations living together in my home. I wanted, I just wanted that. And now, not only do you have that, but you have a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'm looking at, I'm looking at my questions. Well, oh, this is a question I ask all of my guests. Okay. All right, I need to give you the preface to this, which I've said a million times in the podcast, but not to you. Okay, so there was this, this dude was, had just dated, a straight guy I knew, had just dated two different cartoonist women I knew, who had broken his heart in rapid succession. <laughs> and well. he was, um, was going to be my roommate. Like, I didn't really know him, but he was really down in the dumps. And we were touring the property, looking at the chicken coop, and he was like, I can't do it, Nicole. And I was like, do what? And he was like, I can't date another cartoonist. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I just don't really get what that means. Like I just, like he was trying to commiserate like your people, something. And so I realized I don't actually know what that means. So my question for you, to the best of your knowledge, what is it like to date a cartoonist? From being a cartoonist and seeing through the eyes of people who have put up with you or loved mm. you, what do you think that experience is like? Well, these people were people that broke his heart. They did. They were the, highly attractive straight women cartoonists. Yeah. So. Well. I don't know that it's particular to cartoonists. I think that, that anybody that has um, a horrible consuming drive to make things that cause them to want to ignore other people in their lives and go away and secrete themselves and, and assign a high priority to those activities um, is annoying to be with. You know, there, but, but I was with, when I was pregnant, I was with my partner who was getting her PhD and it was not all that different, I don't think, than dating a cartoonist, except, no, she was in the humanities, so I was going to say, but there's less money, so there's less payoff to date a cartoonist, but I don't think that English PhDs are, are usually those high rollers either. Yeah. So it's like dating a poor workaholic? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It is. You're, you're not gonna. You're not gonna be um, treated to those fabulous vacations unless it's part of some kind of talk that they have to give. And then, are they really gonna get two airfares? I don't think so. <laughs> 
So if you see somebody wearing a barrel with suspenders with a weird looking muscular, but also a weird cramped, <laughs> cramped, cramped, really cramped hand and definitely like squinting and they have glasses and poor posture, then you know that that's then the you place. Should try to, you should try to get with them. <laughs> try to tap that because you could be the partner to an impoverished workaholic too. <laughs> yes. I wonder if that's what the guy meant. Nicole, I can't do it anymore. I can't date him. I don't think so. I think he meant that he'd had enough heartbreak. Yeah, that's probably it. But I just was like... I but just your realized... question is more interesting. Thanks. Well, I just realized I have no objectivity. Like in the Fun Home musical, there's a part at the end of the first act where the Allison character's like, you know, my dad killed himself. I became a lesbian cartoonist. And then the crowd is like, oh, and then the, it like, it's like curtain, dung. And I just realized watching it, I was like, I don't know what that means. I was like, what does that mean to those people that are watching this? Like, what did they understand about her saying that? What did the whole show mean to those people that don't, that were not necessarily lesbians or had, were not fans of the graphic novel or, I mean, I, this, these, it became a big blockbuster did you watch it or re listen to the soundtrack? I went to see it on Broadway. Oh, with us? Were we all there together? No, I had to go later. Oh. I missed that opportunity. Ugh. Well, um, I, I, what, I did have a full-time job at that point and I had to go back to it. Oh, you did. Uh, what we're talking about is that during the Queers and Comics conference in New York, a bunch of us got to go see Fun Home and then have a Q&A with the Allisons and, some, and like the director and some other people from the show. Um, I, don't, I don't know, but I, it's actually been weirdly very affirming for me to listen to that soundtrack. Like I've literally listened to it and had moments where I'm like getting it in a deeper way where there's just parts where the, the older Allison is like, I'm drawing, I'm drawing. And she's remembering something. She's like, no, I don't want to. Like, she wants to, like, change how it happened, but she can't change uh -huh. how it happened because she's an autobiographical cartoonist. And I <laughs> am also like, ah, because that's all I do is draw terrible, hard moments from my life. And I'm like, no, this can't be how it was. And I'm like, this is how it was. And I'm drawing oh, it. I'm God. drawing it. And I'm working through my feelings in slow motion. But wait, what is your book about butch sexuality? It's a coming of age story about learning how to have sex as a butch. Oh my God. I know. That's what, that was your reaction. Then, <laughs> too. You know, it's really nice uh, having a head injury or whatever's going on. Cause it's just like <laughs> get to experience the joy of things all over again. Yeah. Um, as if for the first time that book needs to happen. I know it does. And the iron is hot. People care about genderqueer people for one second in the mainstream media. They actually are like interested in talking about gender, so it seems like a great time for that to exist. Yeah, well, but that means that I have to write more than the, you know, 12 pages that I have. Yeah, well, what happens in those 12 pages? Or what made you decide you wanted to do this book? Um, because it doesn't exist. And it's, and like the butch ugly discussion, it's, it's something that I and many other people care about. 
Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Uh, did you have a long, circuitous path to finding your butch sexuality? Yeah. Filled with shame. Oh, God. I'm just going to say that what I learned about lesbian sex as a young person was that it involved two beautiful ladies orally pleasuring each other. Their long nails kind of pawing at each other's nipples. <laughs> yes, and um, and it, in, it, it involved a style of lovemaking, let us say, that didn't bear any resemblance to the way that I got myself off. Yeah. And so, so when I started having sex with women, I, um, not only did I not have any idea how to apply my own self experience to having sex with another person, um, you know, complete lack of models or, you know, representation in that department available. But I, but I was also filled with shame about, um, you know, wanting to have sex with women and being not a beautiful feminine lady. I don't know what or you're talking about. Pleasuring another or being orally pleasured by another. You didn't bring your tickle fe- your tickle sex feather out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Uh, that you know, the gender and the sexuality took you know, they were It seemed as though they should be separate things, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. They were bound up together, and and it was really hard to understand <laughs> and to put into practice and to not feel ashamed and to be able to feel desirable and, like, you know, make my own... Um, pleasure something other than just doing unto others. Mm. hmm hmm So, so, you know, it's a, it's going to be a fairly explicit journey, but it's called getting you know, over the stone butch blues. What better than <laughs> comics to accomplish such a tale? Now it's interesting that you talk about shame because you drew yourself straight up naked, pregnant, giving birth, like squatting, all kinds of things happening in your other book that I feel like you would have, one would have to break through the normal walls of shame to do so. Because for me, as a cartoonist, when I draw a comic of something, I'm drawing how I think it actually looked. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I'm drawing myself naked, I'm like, this is like a photograph. Like, I don't want to show somebody because it's like just showing them a photograph. (laughs) So the idea of drawing that and then having that, you know. I love that you feel that way. I do feel that way. I mean, I don't, I don't really draw dirty pictures because I'm like, oh, like, you know, like I do. And then I'm like surprised. I'm like, I can't believe that I could draw. I could draw anything. I could draw anything I want to draw. <laughs> like if I find a drawing I of sex. I so love drawing dirty pictures. I, I've drawn dirty pictures before, like in my journal. Like I'll draw sex that happened. And then if I find it later, I'm like, 
I can't <gasps> even look at it. It's like too much. Yeah. Um, as, as like a visual artist and whatever, I feel like I'm creating a universe. I'm imbuing well, it with I this. I hope you'll be able to read this book when eventually I do it, even I, though it'll be look, like looking at explicit photographs. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I don't feel that for other people. Like when I was looking at, when I was reading Pregnant Butch, I wasn't like, now I've seen you naked. I just was like, this is a drawing of something that, this is an artist's rendition of something that happened. Um, because I'm not the one imbuing it with the... Whatever. Well, also, though, in comics, you know, you get to to add the baby's head, you know, just sticking out of you as you stand around. Yeah. Like talking to everybody. Yes. So, I mean, the place for the surreal and the absurd um, is is an assistant yeah. to, to exploring your shame. I hope there aren't too many gags in the sex book. <laughs> Maybe it'll be full Why? of maybe it's a, maybe it's a gag book. Maybe that's that's the part you're trying not to reveal on the podcast is that your clown fetish came out and there's like banana peels and disappearing ink and squirting flowers and mm, I don't know. not my style. Um, but so you you got over like when you were drawing it, you were just like, yeah, this is how it happened. I'm just gonna draw it and here I go, and that's it. I really liked drawing it. I mean, that's not the thing that feels shameful. Um, that's just... I mean, there's only one sex scene in Pregnant Butch. Yeah. I don't want to turn off all the readers that were interested in it prior to finding out that there was only one sex scene. But there is one. But there was one, I mean, my poor partner at the time is and was such, um, well, we're no longer partners, but she still is a private person. And at the time, it was mortifying to her that I was putting our private lives serialized, you know, on the internet yeah and so i really there really only could be one sex scene <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i've ever drawn a sex scene i could be wrong i've drawn myself going to first base with people before yeah i've drawn myself getting spanked before Woo! fully clothed fully yes. clothed casually having conversation but i think that that is it so I don't even have that. Like, I think when I think about embarrassing people with my comics, it's in totally different ways. But so she, but she was okay with the one sex scene. Well, she had to be because it happened. Yeah. It went up there. That wasn't why you guys got a divorce. She wasn't no. Like, this comic is it. This is it. <laughs> I, I would do have to say I only drew... The spanking thing in my comic because I was doing I was doing diary comics every May the first week of every May and there was one May and I was very you know I'm very married to reality so there was one May first where I just felt that was what was happening and I was talking to whoever this person was and I was like oh my god it's May first and she was like I dare you to put this in there <laughs> and I was like no way and then I put it in there I put us having that conversation in there 
Um, A.K. Summers. Yes. Do you have any more last-minute advice for up-and-coming cartoonists and or, and second part of the question, up-and-coming butch people? Up-and-coming butch people? <laughs> the young. The young, the young masculine of center person. You are beautiful and wanted. That's my message to the young butches. Young butches, you are beautiful and wanted. Yeah, and I don't feel the need to substitute handsome for beautiful because I don't think it's necessary. We have a we have a very we have a wide, wide, you know, meaning available for beautiful. And it applies to butches as well. Young, masculine up center, and butch people, you are beautiful. Yeah. And what is your message for young cartoonists? Oh, God, people. You are hideous. Stay indoors and draw. <laughs> <laughs> um, write short things and finish them. And get them out there. And don't try to do an opus too soon. That's really valuable advice. Because that's a slog. Yeah, it is a slog. And it's better to get the shorter things out there and begin conversations with people with your artwork and develop it in that way. I don't know. I wish that somebody had... Well, somebody did give me that advice. I just ignored it, but yeah. But now I listen to it, and now I'm doing shorter things, you know, in between my big projects, and it's very rewarding. Yeah, shorter things are rewarding, and then you can put more energy into them. Like I'm doing this book that's 300 pages, and I feel like each page doesn't get as much love as if I was doing a 12-page. Your six-page thing did. I will say, remember individual issues of something? Yeah. And how they sometimes they could only come out twice a year or once a year. Yeah. So if you wanted to work on your butch sexuality comic as a side piece. True. To your moneymaker, which would be this children's book, it could come out once a year. Nicole. What? From your mouth to God's ear. I'm here to advocate for that book. Thank you. Who even knew I needed an advocate? A.K. Summers, thanks for coming on the podcast. Nicole Georges, thanks for having me. It's a safe space for butches and Leos here on Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. If you would like advice about romance, pets, manners, and more, please call and leave a message on our hotline, 971-361-9998. You never know who might show up to answer your questions on Sagittarian Matters.